Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for how he teaches us to pray. Uh, Some of these things to us are brand new. I pray that they would be things that would land on fertile soil, on hearts that are prepared. For some of us, these things are very familiar. Would you make it new today to deepen our practice and our discipline of prayer? In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6. I encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 6. And we see what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, what really is a response to the disciples wanting to learn how to pray, and, uh, to pray, and we ought to call this our prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven. This is a collective prayer. Prayer is not a <clears throat> private thing as much as it is a collective thing. Though it's personal, it isn't necessarily and implicitly private. We are meant to pray with and for each other. To whom? To our daddy, to our papa, to this God who understands us like no others, who has rendered himself so close and so intimate that we can pour ourselves, our hearts out to him in this kind of way. Though he is so close, he is sovereign over all and worthy of all of our gratitude. And so we pray, our Father, who is in heaven. And your and we pray this because we need him. Why pray? Because we need him. Why pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it is about him. We're joining together in something that he is doing. We're not asking him to engage in our behavior as much as we are aligning our will, wishes with his will. He wants this perfect reality that does exist in heaven to grow into our imperfect one. We pray because we need so much more than just this reality, what we think life is. We need to enter into all that he has for those that he loves and cares for. So we pray because we need him. We pray because we need so much more than this. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This we looked at last week, our first legitimate request. We need help. And that need is total and perpetual. It is today and it is every day. And we must begin our days, each one, with this kind of humble recognition. We must, as I offered last week, practice the office, this ancient discipline of saints who begin their days with this practice. They call it the practicing the office. This humble recognition, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then walking through this prayer and and, and branching off as each part signifies issues that you have in your life that you want to bring before him. Then finishing with the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We pray because we need help. Why pray? Because we need Him. Because we need so much more than this reality. Because we need help. And we must deepen an understanding our practice of prayer because of all that stands before us. And and I am really getting excited about what is coming this fall. As I am engaging already in preparation in Hebrews for what we're going to be looking at, I just can't wait. And I'm excited about next week, and I'm excited about the week after that. And then the 12th, did you know that God changes? 
Yeah, I got a few heads going, I don't know about that. He does. Oh, young people, did you know that God used to text? Introducing God now. September 12th. Make sure you don't miss it. And I'm getting excited about what we as a staff, as we're putting all these pieces together on this it's better to gather year, there are some exciting things that are coming. I'm thrilled about it. And I can't wait for you to see it. And yet, all of the plans, all of the preparations, all of the change that's coming our way, it's exciting. A little terrifying, maybe. If we are not preparing our hearts and our minds through humble prayer, then we're kidding ourselves. All of our efforts will be unblessed if we're not looking to the one who truly must be our sovereign leader. So, that's why we're here in Matthew chapter 6 in these weeks, to continue to deepen our understanding and our practice of prayer. Last time we did ask the question, why pray? Today I'd like to return to how to pray again. And how are we to do this? From this, of course, we'll continue to learn another reason why Jesus would have us pray. We pray because we need protection. We pray because we need Him. We pray because we need more than this reality. We pray because... What is the other one? We need help. And we pray because we need protection. Now, that's a strange prayer, isn't it? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Does God tempt us? Does he set traps for us? And and we have to ask that he would not do that? And if he does, is this why uh, we're supposed to ask him to deliver us? Because he's got this little game going on? What does this mean? I think it's very clear from this phrase that there is danger here. And we need protection from two things primarily. First of all, we need protection from ourselves. Let me explain this phrase, and lead us not into temptation. First of all, this word temptation is never used in the New Testament. This, this Greek word for temptation right here is not used ever to speak of enticement towards sin. It always, this verb, this word, means testing. This is how it's used in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was Tested. He was tempted. You remember? He went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the evil and he was tested. And that was extremely important. It was to show his full identification with us in his humanity. This was to prove that in his humanity he tasted and won the victory over the evil one. This was so that Hebrews 4.15 could be true for us, which Donna Williams uh, read last week before she sang better than a hallelujah. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He was tested and he was proven to be pure. We also know that God does not tempt, according to John uh, James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for we cannot be, um, for God <clears throat> cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So this is clear. God does not tempt, he tests. We are led astray by our own evil desires, something Jesus never did. 
But though that's true, it leads to another question, a second problem. If it means tested, why would we pray not to be tested then if he uses this uh, to develop us, to complete us? Back to James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Okay. So there is another way to render this phrase that is supported in other passages of Scripture, which is a great rule of interpretation. Let the Bible interpret itself. What does this mean? Listen to this commentator. This phrase could be rendered in the causative form. Let us not be brought into temptation. This temptation is greatly, uh, this interpretation is greatly strengthened if the word temptation can be taken to mean a trial that results in a fall. And as a matter of fact, in two other passages in the New Testament, that's exactly the way this term is used. Mark chapter 14. Jesus' admonition to Peter, not to fall, but to pray. Not ironically, not coincidentally. He says to Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And we know that exactly that happened. He fell. Galatians chapter 6, warning against falling as another has. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. You may fall into that same thing that they have fallen into. And that's why the New Living Translation renders this, if any of you have that with you, it renders this phrase, don't let us yield to temptation. That's the sense of this phrase. Don't let us yield to temptation. And this is why I'm saying we pray because we need protection from ourselves. In both of these parallel passages I just read, the first problem lies in the heart of the person who's being tested. There's a battle waging here. And we need to recognize the dark one uh, and rely on the good one. And I'll expand on that in a minute. But first of all, we're in the middle of this. And the sinful nature we struggle with is a part of the equation. Satan tempts and we succumb being led astray by our own evil desires. God does allow tests to come in that are meant to uh, refine us and purify us. Will we let him or will we give up? Will we give in? Do we yield to temptation? Because we know how susceptible we are. Ginny Falgren sent an email this week that was just perfect timing. A little boy was waiting for his mother to come out of a grocery store. As he waited, he was approached by a man who asked him, Son, can you tell me where the post office is? The little boy replied, Sure, just go straight down this street, a couple blocks, and turn to your right, and it'll be on your right. The man thanked the little boy kindly and said, I'm the new pastor in town, and I would like you on Sunday to come to my church, and I'll show you how to get to heaven. The little boy replied with a chuckle, Oh, come on, you don't even know where the post office is. (laughs) Now, why do I say that? 
You ever wondered if your pastor knows where the post office is? Have you ever wondered? Here I'm talking about this yielding to temptation. You ever, you're in your own life and you got your own issues and you can't find your post office and, and he's supposed to tell you where that is. Like he knows anything about this. Ever felt that way? What does he know about my situation? What can I talk about in terms of yielding to temptation? Now, some of you who know me, you know, are chuckling because, you know, I'm a human like anybody else. But there's this tendency to, you know, think that, well, what does he know about my situation? Hmm. Let me give you a couple of personal testimonies. One regarding yielding to temptation. And I, of course, have wrestled with this all week about what would be appropriate for me to share in terms of my yielding to temptation. Well, how about this? Uh, I have a tremendous responsibility as I speak to you Sunday in and Sunday out to speak from the Word and what God would have us hear and not just what I would want to say to you. That's illustrated often by people who come up to me after a message and say, You were looking right at me. I spoke at a, uh, at a men's retreat years ago. And uh, actually, God moved in a special way. And uh, one of the guys came up to me. He was very close to me and invited me to be a part of it. And he said, You know what? There's nothing wrong with what you're sharing. And we told you to speak on this topic. I just sense that there's something else that we need. And we began to talk about it. And he wanted me to change everything. <laughs> Great, thanks for that. But you know what? I agreed with him, and I did. And I ended up going a completely different direction. And there was a man in that church, uh, in that at that retreat, it was from that church, that later I heard about this after the fact. He was in the bathroom, and he was just fuming. He was so angry because he was convinced that these guys had set me up to talk about him. And interestingly enough, these guys are looking at him going, Have you ever seen this man before? Has he ever met you before? Uh, No. And then he began to realize it was God that was speaking to him, right? So that can happen. You feel that way. And yet the other side of that, that's the good part, right? God is using and working through a person to speak his word. But you know what? There is a temptation on my part. As I get to know people and I know certain situations, to take this pulpit, And use it like this, a hammer, right? I did that one time to my shame. And you know what? On the issue, I still don't think I was wrong. But that wasn't the point. What was wrong was taking this and using it like this. And I used it as a hammer on a specific individual. And I was wrong. I yielded to that temptation, to my shame. And I had to go to that person. I had to apologize. I had to make it right. Well, that's a temptation that I can fear, that I, I, that I can sense, that I, can, I have to avoid it. I cannot use this ever as a hammer. But I yielded to that temptation, and I was wrong, and I had to make it right. What's yours? See the danger? We all have them, don't we? 
somewhere, something. We've got that battle and it's there. Of course, this concept is very common in Scripture because it's a reality we live with every day. That was the first testimony. Now I want you to listen to a second one and see if you can figure out who this is before he tells you. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Of course, that was Paul and his personal testimony, which of course is a part of Scripture. This is the process God works in us to complete us. And the very next verse of that testimony says, Romans 8.1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You see, this is why we pray to Him for ourselves. I can't blame this all on the devil or circumstances. I first must face myself and then trust Him to bring the change. So we first pray for protection from ourselves, that we would not yield to temptation. Now, we know the reality of how easily that 
takes place. That's why we do this every day. But there's another dimension, and it's important that we see and understand that as well. We need protection not only from ourselves, but also from the evil one. I say this because you'll notice the NIV rendering here is, but deliver us from the evil one. And if some of you are used to this in another translation, uh, you're wondering why it is, because the King James and others say, uh, deliver us from evil. Well, let me explain that. Two reasons why we know it's the evil one. First of all, because there are two prepositions used in uh, the Greek before the word evil. One of them refers to a thing, ak, and the other refers to someone, apo. And that's what preposition, that's the preposition that is used in this specific phrase. And that's important. Um, prepositions are important. Uh, the problem with prepositions is that uh, there don't seem to be many rules about them, right? And uh, this was brought to my attention when I was, uh, we were studying Italian and uh, we, were, we got to prepositions and we started to complain because you were looking for the rule and the one rule and you just had to memorize them. And so uh, we were complaining about that and the Italian teacher decided she wanted to defend Italian. So she said, okay, all you English speakers, and we weren't all English speakers there, but she said, uh, explain this to me then. You think we have preposition problems in our language. How about you? Let's see. You turn on the television. You pl- put a plant on the television. And you watch a show on the television. Explain this to me. It's just the way they are. They're just prepositions. It's the way they are. And so we can see, however, that there's this distinction between one that is used regarding a person or a thing. And then secondly, the previous use of this word together with temptation in Matthew chapter 4 is indisputably with the person, the devil, when Jesus was tempted. So this should definitely be rendered evil one, not just evil, but specifically this person and not just a thing. We need to recognize the dark one and rely and express our dependence and our need to be protected by the good one, our Father, Our daddy who cares that much. And what does that mean? That means we are in a battle. We're in a battle with ourselves, our own nature, and we're in a battle with the enemy, our nemesis. Now, what does that look like? That sounds scary. And is, is he lurking all over the place? And how do I know from whom I'm supposed to be protected? Well, here's a practical thought that I see over and over in Scripture that comes into play when we are dealing with truly the evil one or his minions against us. There's what I call a critical moment. Let me go to Genesis chapter 4. And here, right at the beginning, we see this reality in uh, the life of Cain. The Lord said to Cain in chapter 4, verse 6, and here the situation is that he's brought the inappropriate offering. His brother Abel had brought the right one. He brings the wrong one. Notice the critical moment. Chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Critical moment. You've got a choice. There it is. What are you going to do? He failed, didn't he? He went the wrong way. Saw the same thing in the life of Saul. David 
slays Goliath. He becomes extremely popular. The women are singing these wonderful songs about him. He's jealous. And an evil spirit entered him. 1 Samuel 18 tells us. 1 Chronicles 21, 1, interesting phrase. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a consensus. I mean, a census. Interesting. Satan raised up and incited David to do that. We see it in the New Testament in Mark chapter 14. Actually, uh, Mark chapter 14, Luke 22, and John 12 all record this story of the woman with the alabaster jar who came and broke it and poured that perfume on Jesus' feet. And in that rendering, uh, we hear the disciples in Mark 14 saying that this was a waste. and, and, uh, And it says right after that, Judas Iscariot went away to betray. Then Luke 22 tells us that Satan entered him. And John chapter 12 tells us that it was Judas who uttered the complaint, was stealing money from the till, and then it was he who would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? It was a critical moment. And he let it happen. He let him in. And if we let him in, then he gains his influence over us. Peter uses the same terminology of Ananias in Acts chapter 5. How is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Do you see the connection? There's a critical moment. We see it over and over in Scripture. and We must resist him. Then we need deliverance from him. We must be aware and sensitive. And even Jesus saw Peter's words uh, after the great confession as a critical moment. Because later he had to say, get behind me, Satan. Critical moment. You see, if we're sensitive, we'll know it. If we're praying, we'll be delivered. So first we pray for protection from ourselves. Do not let us yield to temptation. And then we pray for protection from the evil one. But deliver us from the evil one. How do we do this? First you pray for yourself. Get right with God. Then you pray against that which works against God. And then you commit your trust to the one who delivers. So, this is why I have given you This prayer guide that's in your bulletin this morning was in there last week. It'll be there again next week because I want to make sure that everyone gets one of these. And last week we spent time on the cover talking about practicing office I referred to. But now if you'll open it up, this is a prayer guide. And this isn't the only way to pray, but it is one way to pray. And it's a good way to structure your prayers. So I've tried to give you something just as practical as possible for you to use and to follow. And so use this as a guide. The first thing I say is take your time. Don't, what I call the, don't babble principle. Don't just babble on, but focus, reiterate the truth. He wants to hear you say what he knows already. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray because we need him, and we've referred to that. And and we take time to give thanks, and I've listed some things there. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't rote repetition. Again, it's regular recognition. We pray because we need more than just reality. Take your time and refocus this habit of attention that we talked about. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. We pray because we need help. So take your time and examine. Admit your need for help. Seek forgiveness for yourself and for others. And then what I've talked about today, we pray because we need protection. Take your time and pray for protection. We're in a battle with both our own nature and our nemesis. So pray for protection from yourself. Pray for each other in these critical moments that they won't yield in that moment. Pray for the Lord to protect us 
from the evil one. Practical guide. Again, not the only way to pray, but it's a good way to pray. And it can help you structure. As you sit down and say, what am I going to do with this amount of time? Follow this. And as you do, the Lord's going to bring things to mind that have to do with any of these particular areas. Chase the rabbit. It's okay. (laughs) Then come back to the structure. And allow God to use this to guide your prayer. Now, there's one last thing I'd like to do with this prayer, and I'd like to do it next week. One of the few times you will ever hear me speak on a biblical passage that isn't there. Because most of your translations end the Lord's Prayer right where it is, right there, right? And deliver us from the evil one. But in your mind, for those of you who've known this, you know, you got the next phrase, right? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll explain why it's not in the current uh, translations, but I'll also preach from it to talk to us about it because though it's not in the oldest manuscripts and uh, therefore it has been removed in many translations, there's nothing wrong with what this says. And we will take time and adore. We will pray because we need to praise. Because of his goodness, because of his greatness, because of his gloriousness, because of his grandeur, because of a certain greeting that each of us needs to be prepared for. So come back next week and you'll hear a message from the Bible that isn't in the Bible. How does that sound? Wow. Put that on the recording. Use this guide. Allow it to focus you, to deepen your practice and your discipline of prayer. Because... We need protection from ourselves and from our enemy. Let's look to him in prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to reflect on these, your words. And truly, we know the reality of how easily we yield to temptation. How quickly we can succumb to our own desires and be led away, enticed into sin only leads to our own destruction. Forgive us. May we be people who quickly look to you to be protected from our own weaknesses and strengthen us. And we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we pray for protection from the evil one who would quickly want to take that critical moment and leverage it for his purposes and bring us down Break us again. Protect us. Deepen our desire to practice this discipline. That our hearts and our minds, our lives might be prepared for all that you have in store for us. The days to come, weeks and years, we might be people truly quick to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.